The sponsor for this episode is the publisher Rootledge. They publish a wide range of books for pre- and in-service teachers, teacher educators, and educational researchers. Go to their website to find a lot of books and resources. It's rootledge.com. Welcome to Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. It is very important to be researched, informed in our practices. And here you have the opportunity today to listen to an interview that I have conducted with a researcher who research in leadership in these areas, working with children and young people. Enjoy the interview. Yeah, so I am here at the University of Portsmouth, and with me is Gina Sherwood, and she works at the educational department, and specifically in early childhood. Welcome to the podcast, Gina. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, do you both teach and research in the area of early childhood? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I specialise in terms of the lectures that I teach um, for the early childhood study students um, in, yeah, in in all the areas of early childhood. Uh, so things like health and well-being, uh, the psychology of child development, uh, p- the importance of play, and how early years settings uh, run really and. Uh, particularly because I'm working with undergraduates, I'm preparing them for employment in managerial um, and leadership positions within early years. So that's um, my academic day-to-day life. And then I have um, my research responsibilities, which are in areas of early childhood, uh, not not just what we're talking about today, but also things like um, informed consent for young children when they're participating in... um, in research and and that sort of thing. So yes, it's a joint. Whenever you work in in a university, as you probably know, it actually is partly a responsibility of teaching leadership, but also um, the research continues. So, so are you actually saying that when uh, students are student early childhood uh, kind of preschool teachers uh, studies, they they will learn something about management and leadership? Absolutely, yes. Um, that some of them, uh, when they arrive at the university, some of them have had some experience of working in early, early years, but not all of them. But the expectation is that when they finish their degree, uh, that they will go into a leadership position um, in an early year setting. They will have had some experience of working in placements in the second year, which will help them. But what we try to do is make sure that they are thinking in terms of understanding the responsibilities within leadership with early years, and that they really understand practice you know, to, a, to a, a standard whereby they can actually guide those people who they'll be managing 
managing or who you know who they're working with to uh, be really professional and and ethical and develop children in in a very positive way uh, so yes that's that's the so now we are speaking about uh, preschool teachers if we call them that or nursery nurses yes uh, who will have to demonstrate leadership but is it both kind of the director of the early childhood setting and kind of the ordinary preschool teacher which will have to lead in one way or another yes they do and they do have different um, there are different job opportunities I mean for example I can I've got a student at the moment who is, is her career plan is to open her own nursery so then she would be the director of that nursery um, she's looking at that for in a sort of three-year plan so her first steps would be to go in in a, in a leadership management role within a nursery um, to consolidate her practice and understand her practice and then move on from there um, some students also um, would go into schools so So they would work in a reception class. So we still classify that as early years, um, and for that they would have a te- they would need to have a teaching qualification. Um, and some basically, it's taking children from birth to the age of eight, uh, and obviously, wide more widely than that, outside of the education um, system, they might be working as social workers. So they might be supporting families with through adoption of children, um, and. Uh, Yeah, that sort of and community work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's quite a breadth of different opportunities for ch- for for the students that come here and study early childhood. One last question yes. about the training before we go to yes. the research. So, so do do they have a specific module on leadership, or is it kind of more intertwined with all the other modules? It's um, mostly it's intertwined. So we like to start talking about leadership in their first year, and what would that look like, and and giving them. Um, confidence to have uh, the language that's required if you are a leader uh, to deal with problems and so on but they also have an opportunity in the third year to do um, early years uh, initial teacher training which is again a leadership uh, qualification and within that that's very very uh, focused on leadership aspects uh, so It, it covers quite a few different assi- assessments, but one of the main assessments is to do uh, to look at a critical incident in a setting. So they go and do do some practice, and then they identify something that they have learnt through reflective practice. So a lot of what we're doing, and, and I'm going to come on to talk about in a moment with my research, is about reflection and effective reflection, and. Um, That's something that often students, when they first arrive here, haven't really had very many opportunities to develop as a skill. And I think it's a skill that all leaders need to have, actually, is to really be able to effectively reflect on their own practice in order to improve it for, for children and for them and for other people around them, really. Yeah, so let's move on to uh, the research. So what is your current main research interest in, in the kind of the early childhood area? Well, it, it began with my with my PhD, which I completed um, a few years ago now in 2012. Uh, and really, it's, it's continued on from them there. Uh, the focus of that was about capturing parents' 
stories of their experience of support when they had a young child with a learning disability. But um, just looking at the model of stories then seem to have potential to continue in terms of in research terms um, beyond just looking at stories from a parent perspective. Um, it actually, I continued to look at it from a student's perspective to get them to understand the value of stories uh, because that was the value of, of my PhD. I chose disability because I knew quite a lot already about um, neurotypical children. Um, I'd had experience of working with um, with children in that situation. Um, I understood the developmental um, uh, stages and so on. So that, that was something I felt I understood. But something I felt I didn't understand nearly as well, because I'd had less experience of it, was children that had a uh, learning difficulty and or disability. And I wanted to kind of get into the world of the parent and what that looked like when they needed support for their child because I felt that would inform um, leadership uh, in so many different areas, not just nurseries but in schools and also in um, social services and so on where they are accessing support. So that was my starting point really. So you were interviewing uh, parents, so, so how old were the children the of ch- these parents? Uh, the children's uh, ages ranged between the age of two and four. Um, and in the case of uh, the two-year-olds, one of the two-year-olds, because he was born with Down syndrome, they knew immediately that he would need some support. But interestingly, this other two-year-old was a very premature um, little boy and he would he didn't have a diagnosis until I returned uh, after doing the first stage of of um, my research uh, and then finally the mum had been able to get some support and help that that was helping her to understand her child's difficulties because he had a lot of behavioral difficulties and delay in language and um, cognitive development so so that was the two of them and then the child who was three um, was already diagnosed with autism and a chromosome disorder Uh, and then there was a child of three who had a speech and language delay and the child who was four was an elective mute so a child who who didn't speak at all Um, and it was really her journey through gaining support, as it was for each of those those parents with those different different um, difficulties for their children. And, and and you're saying that you are taking the parents' kind of perspective, mm-hmm. but is it especially on the early childhood centres kind of um, field, or or do you? Do you let it over to the parents to decide how they kind of view their collaborators, how their uh, children's services kind of operate for them? Yes, that was something that I thought was really important. Um, very early on in the in the research, I realized that uh, I needed to listen and find out their perspective. And the way I suggested that they would might find that helpful was to actually write or draw a picture of their experiences. And in that way, they were able to... They, they were able to capture for them for me uh, something that was 
was kind of uh, what's the word kind of, sort of they were able to say what was effective and what was not so effective and they were able to say why that was and the uh, useful thing about that was as well I was able to bring the picture back again for them each time and say would you like to add anything to the picture now we're, we're meeting together again so it was a, a bit of a memory jogger for them but when I actually came to analyse it I noticed that the way that they'd actually drawn their pictures said quite a lot about who they were as as individuals and the kind of difficulties that they'd had um, in, in in the relationships that they'd had uh, with the professionals. And, and these children were they kind of in how shall I say it ordinary kind of nurseries or was it? special uh, nurseries for kind of specific disabilities? Uh, it varied, actually. So if we go back through the, the children, um, the child who had Down syndrome, whose name, um, or whose mum named him Bernard, uh, she wanted him to have experience of a um, mainstream nursery, but she also felt he would have some benefit from a special needs. So he split his time between the two. Um, Tony, who was the uh, child, the other two-year-old, undiagnosed, went to one mainstream nursery, uh, and the mum was working with the SENCO there, the Special Educational Needs um, Coordinator there, uh, because they were both concerned about um, the delay that he was having. But he didn't have any special... He didn't go to a, a, a separate session setting for that. Uh, the child um, with the with autism and a chromosome disorder, uh, who was who the parents named Amber was in a special needs um, nursery. She was diagnosed as having some difficulties quite early on, so she didn't go to a mainstream um, setting. And then um, Reese, the little boy with speech and language delay, her, his mum actually um, referred him to uh, someone we're called Kids, which is a special. Um, a nursery that supports children with special educational needs and he spent some time there and he spent some time in a mainstream preschool um, and then finally Courtney um, the girl who was in elective butte was only uh, cared for in mainstream nursery so it was a little bit of a mixture mm. that, across the, the parents and the children and then your uh, research interest was how they perceived their context and where did they receive um help and partnership and then uh, the leadership kind of um, roles. So, so what were your findings in this study? Uh, my findings within the study were that um, it made a big difference to the parents if they felt that their situation was being taken seriously and that the professional was not just stepping in and telling them what to do and giving them answers. They, they all, without exception, felt that um, they were not very often asked about their own feelings about what was happening to them. And, um, and that was difficult for them. In fact, um, the mum of Bernard said that when professionals don't understand, it's more upsetting than you can imagine. And I felt that was quite poignant, really, that she was expressing that, because I, know, I knew from my professional background that I would have always wanted to understand, but my difficulty was that I had a professional hat on, and therefore I wasn't really trying to get into 
the world of that parent. And so this research was all about getting into the world of the parent and co-constructing a story with them. So hearing their story, but at the same time realising that where there were parts of their story that resonated with my own experience, although I hadn't had a child with a, a learning disability. Um, and that seemed to be very valuable because it meant that um, the feedback loop between us was much was, had the potential to be much more effective. And as I looked at the literature, that was what they were really saying, is that when you can step into the world of the parent... And there's a, two authors that were particularly interesting who've written about the familiar and strange, Cathy Nutt-Brown and Peter Clough. And they both say that um, there's great benefit fit when we're reflective leaders um, when we actually uh, try to see where something is familiar but maybe it's strange and making it strange to understand it in a different way and the same as seeing something as strange and making it familiar so that dynamic was really interesting in the interactions that I had with the parents uh, because it worked both ways but we were we were both encountering that that experience really um, and yeah so so I felt the more that we could we could recognize that the more we could get some effective help for the children and of course in leadership terms there's a lot of money spent on children with special educational needs if it's not really effective for the child and we rely on the parent to give us a lot of information if they're not able to give us that information then we might be spending money in a very needless way because because nothing positive comes out of it really for the child um, in the longer term and as leaders in early years we need to be aware of that I think. And, and, and if we kind of look at um, the pictures they draw and the co-constructed story that you created with your interviewees, um, what, what, what was the early childhood center or the nursery? Did it play a central part or was it more like a marginal uh, service, a cold service provider? And then there were other uh, services which kind of were in the first row. Yeah, they it was it was interesting because um, one of the things that they noted very much was that within the earlier settings we have something and I guess our listen, people listening to this will know is something called a key person approach uh, and so they were working very closely with one person very often and that relationship was the most effective because it was um, something that was quite consistent for them. Whereas when they accessed other services, and you're quite right in asking the question, they had a number of different um, services that they were accessing. For example, they might be going to speech and language therapy. Uh, most of them did. They might see a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, and so on. And they went to these, these meetings, these appointments. They didn't necessarily see the same professional. They were given sometimes contradictory advice about how to support the child. So the things that made the biggest difference were where there was a meaningful relationship between the parent and the professional um, and that the professional was able to really learn and get to know the parent and understand things from their perspective as much as they could um, and also I think accept that they were on a journey 
And that was something else that came into the stories, that as professionals and leaders, we're on a journey of understanding, and these parents were as well. And so you couldn't necessarily rely on the fact that they would have stayed stationary in one position, uh, saying this particular help is, is really making a difference to my child. They may have moved on and need something different. And being open to that was something that I found quite challenging to my own reflections, because I felt as if I was wanting them to maybe follow the expert model of partnership, which is about me knowing more than them. And in actual fact, parents obviously are, prof are, are people that um, have great knowledge about their child that, that the professional doesn't have. But on the other hand, the professional has something to bring to the dialogue as well. So both are, are have expertise. And it's about making the most of that expertise, really, through the relationship rather than thinking of it as being um, parents needing the support and therefore being the, 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 the person with less, less power, really, in the, in the relationship, less agency and so on. So you say that the relationship between the parents and the professional, is it kind of uh, uh, more effective if it's one thick relation between one parent or the two parents and one professional or or does it not matter if they kind of have several strong relations like that yeah i think it's it's not necessarily about the number it's about the quality so you know the the for uh, for example um talking to bernard's mother she had portage and that's the service that comes into the home and she had a portage worker who came in every week and so she had a really strong relationship with that person but equally when Bernard went to the preschool there was the the key person there however the services that she didn't like so much were when, when she went to the development centre um, and she she just saw people sort of randomly for another checkup for Bernard because he had Down syndrome. He had a number of areas that needed to be checked on um, regularly. And she said she, she just wasn't so comfortable there because she felt they didn't really know about Bernard and they didn't really know um, what had happened before necessarily. So they might not have had time to look at their notes. And I think this is one of the things we have to recognise in leadership context is sometimes it, there are those pressures about time and money for professionals. So it's about making the relationship and the encounter really um, really positive and, and have some quality uh, because because it makes a difference rather than just saying, oh, well, they can go to lots of different people and it'll, you know, that doesn't really matter. So in leadership terms, I think what this really tells us is that it, to have one person that the parent really comes to trust is going to be more effective in the longer term, providing that one person understands the dynamic of the relationship and is prepared to reflect upon their own practice and how they're responding to that parent um, along the way. So, so this kind of that, that that's that's my findings really, as far as that's concerned. And. Uh, I'm quite sure. So I, I I can hear that you work with co-constructed stories. You work in an ethnographic kind of um, methodology. And maybe you won't answer this question because it's against your whole ideology. But but if we are, if I ask you, 
do you think it is it, it is important that um, there is one lead uh, leadership person mm-hmm. and if you think that uh, can it be the parent can it be uh, the nursery key person or, or who, who shall it be Sh- shall there be one person or several I think it has to be there has to be this this thing about hierarchy is really really interesting because as soon as there is a hierarchy then there becomes a bit of a split in terms of the relationship really so that that partnership of seeing the qualities in both sides are very i i think is is really vital if we're going to move forward so it's not about the parent being above the the professional or the other way around it's about working together Um, having the same intention that you want the child to progress um, and finding a way to do that that works in a home context but also in an educational context. But in terms of the, the role of the leader, if the leader can understand within the setting the value of stories then they can um, provide a model for that. They can train other staff to use that method of reflection. So, for example, in my research, I used um, field notes. So after I'd every encounter, I'd just write a few notes about, very honestly, about what I was thinking about these parents at that time and how what they told me related to my own experiences, personal experiences of being a parent or personal experiences of being um, a professional. And that reflection enabled me to just revisit where the relationship sat. Now, when I'm working with undergraduate students, I do a module which actually looks at reflection and they write a reflective journal about themselves and their own experiences of what they're thinking about young children as a starting point. And I say to them, you know, when you go out to work and you're in a leadership position, you can talk to them about how this, or you can talk to staff about the value of stories because you've actually analysed that and you've and you've lived it as well. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm, I'm kind of training the next generation of leaders, if you like, um, to to use this. Yeah, time is running quickly, yes. uh, Gina. And if we so, so this research was done with children aged from two, two to four, yeah. uh, and you have come up with some really interesting um, findings, I think. Uh, do you think that this research, which was done in like the early childhood uh, phase, ca- can it be uh, useful for schools and social care setting as well? I definitely would suggest it could, yes. Yes, because when children um, go into school and they require some additional support, then very often they are, uh, that becomes um, a relationship between uh, the child and hopefully the learning support assistant and you know then you're working with a parent as well within the educational system interestingly it doesn't always work out perfectly i had a follow-up with um, bernard's mum because bernard's now in full-time education in a mainstream school and um, unfortunately uh, one of the learning uh, support assistants who was looking after him misunderstood bernard's needs 
and Bernard was getting very, very upset at school, um, coming home and and really having some difficulties. And Mum noticed that he had really regressed as a result of, of that. So the potential is there, but it comes back to the whole point with this, which is there has to be the will for it to say, you know, actually, I do see the, the importance of reflection. I do see this as a partnership relationship. Um, and from that point of view, that fits in a sense with any child that needs additional support, either in an educational setting or beyond that um, in, in specialist um, areas such as a speech and language physiotherapy, occupational therapy, behaviour um, support and so on. Thank you very much, Gina. And um, at the very end, if, if um, my listeners or some of them want to kind of um, look at what you have done, is there a place on the Internet where they can find uh, information about you and your research? Yes. Um, it's in terms of my wider research, that's available on um, the Portsmouth University of Portsmouth website under Dr. Gina Sherwood, uh, and that's where my publications are shown, uh, which, which, as I've said in this podcast, have been a bit more than just... It, uh, the PhD sort of was a starting point and the stories have continued from there. Uh, additionally to that, at the University of Southampton, who awarded me with my doctorate, have a, an electronic copy in their library of my PhD. And um, I've also published in the International Journal of Early Years Education uh, on the subject of co-constructing stories. Uh, the actual title of that is Parents' Experiences of Support, Co-Constructing Their Stories. Uh, and that's um, a publication, uh, that, that's a, an article within that journal from 2014. Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.